welcome to another edition of San Luis Valley Voices, an SL Voices production. Without further ado, enjoy the program. Carol Rickenbach is fourth-generation San Luis Valley native, born in Alamosa, and earned her degree at Adams State University. Her vast experience includes working in healthcare administration, farming, and land development. She is a mother of two and a small business owner. She has also been affiliated with numerous boards and nonprofit organizations. In this extended podcast, we hear from Carol about her run for the Colorado House of Representatives, District 62. Topics include her goals and objectives, term limits, redistricting, emergency powers, gun control, current and future district challenges, working together, and much more. All across this great land of ours, election season 2022 is drawing ever closer. Right here in the San Luis Valley, a race that many are watching is the seat for District 62 for the Colorado House of Representatives. Now, to find out more about this race, we got together with none other than Carol Riggenbach, who, of course, is running for the Colorado House of Representatives, District 62. Welcome back to SL Voices, Carol. Thank you, Adam. It's so good to be here. And I can't tell you enough how much your work is appreciated. It really is. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, the last time we got together was in January of 2020. We interviewed you as part of the Chamber podcast series back then. It's good to have you back. And as a quick recap, you are from the San Luis Valley, born and raised in Alamosa, graduated from Adams State. You've been working with the elderly for nearly 30 years now. You've farmed, you've owned your own business, as well as a historic facet building in downtown Monta Vista. You've served on several boards. You like to sew quilts and are even a pilot. Did I miss anything? No, you did it. I appreciate that. I have a home health care agency now since then, and also Rain Home Care International, which takes care of seniors in Kenya and the disabled. So just a small group, but at least it's some way to help. And on top of all of this, you're running for the Colorado House of Representatives. Where do you find all the time? You know, I have good people, Adam. I've got really good people that are taking care of the bridge, taking care of my home care agency, taking care of the facet building, leasing that out. That's how I could actually do this and put all the time to it. And my children are grown, right? I've got animals at home that I have to take care of or they take care of me. But other than that, I can work many hours at this and that's what I do. That's what I've heard you doing. So let's delve right into some questions here about your run for the Colorado House of Representatives. First, where does District 62 cover? You know, it's an interesting district. When I first hopped into this, people told me that. They told me about the redistricting. And so then I got the map and you can actually go to my website at carolforcolorado.com and you can click on the map button and then go look at the map and you'll see the entire San Luis Valley, Mm -hmm. all six counties. And then you'll see a little bit of Huerfano County, which includes the town of Gardner. And then it goes around and catches a little bit of rye, goes back up I-25. We skip Walsenburg. Right now, Donald Valdez has Walsenburg and Levita, but we don't have that anymore. That's part of the new redistricting that'll take over January 1 of 2023. Mm-hmm. So that's the district I'm running in. And what it does is it goes up I-25 on the east side Mm -hmm. and then goes all the way up along just a little sliver of I-25, comes up to Highway 50, covers the east side, crosses over and catches South Pueblo and also Bessemer area, which Bessemer, for people who don't know Pueblo, that's the area around St. Mary Corwin. So we kind of have a cool part of Pueblo. I'm very proud of it. We have the heart, I believe, of Pueblo and the old, those old tiny little homes that the steelworkers worked in. That's our district. It's way cool. So you're traveling, of course, then all the way to Pueblo. I am. I put a lot of windshield time. (laughs) What drew you to running for District 62 in the first place, Carol? Well, I wanted to do more to help. And as I've learned more about what's going on in our state and what has happened in the last couple of years, what has happened to my seniors in particular, really drove me to do some serious homework. What is happening in the state of Colorado? I think so much of this has snuck up on us that a lot of us didn't even realize what's been happening to us. Mm -hmm. So as I studied... I realized, oh my gosh, we need to have a really amazing candidate running for House District 62. 
And so I started looking who's running. And I knew Donald Valdez had that position. And I knew he was going in the race after Bobert. So I looked on the internet and saw, oh, okay, there's a guy by the name of Dimmick that was running. And he was the one that was on the Democrat ticket at the very beginning. But there was no Republican running. And I thought, what? Why don't we have someone else? You know, maybe a constitutional person, a libertarian, whatever the case may be. It didn't matter that it had to be a Republican. But who was going to go against Dimmick? Nobody. There was nobody. I couldn't find anyone. And so then I started hunting and researching, and I actually started asking other people who'd ran in the past, would they consider running? They told me no. (laughs) Well, why is that? Well, I think they have some other positions that they believe they're a little bit more influential in now. They're getting the work that they need to get done for all of our sake, especially in the ag world. They're getting that done in other ways now rather than running for office. So I asked a lot of people's advice. I asked a lot of people that I respect. And even one of those, I asked Donald Valdez what he thought. And he said, Carol, you should run. Wow. Yeah. Did you get that on tape? (laughs) (laughs) He actually said, just know why you're running. And I thought, that's easy. I'm running to help. And I've got the passion and the energy to do it. So then I decided, okay, I'm in. Let's do this. And you actually had primaries a couple months ago? Yes. So I had a primary with Mr. Williams and Ryan and I, we ran against each other. I don't know why I didn't find Ryan in the lineup when I first hunted to see if there was anybody running. Maybe he hadn't hopped in the race yet. Maybe him and I hopped in about the same time. I don't know. I haven't looked at the dates when he filed. Yes, we did have the primary and that was good for me. That was good for me to go through that process at the state assembly and through districts and all this stuff that I have never been in before in my life. So this is your first stab in politics. Oh, absolutely. I had never even gone to a county Republican committee meeting. No, I've never been to any political event other than watching debates and cheering on for my people. You know, the other thing is really diving in deep, helping my seniors understand what was on the ballot. There's so many times seniors don't necessarily vote because they can't read the ballot or they don't understand what's going on. And all of the real meaning behind what you're voting for, if you vote yes, it'll really mean this. You know, some of that trickery that happens on the ballot. And so that's where I was very, very passionate about is educating people and myself and my seniors in particular so that they could really vote knowledgeably. What are your overarching goals and objectives if elected? And I hate to use the word if, but it is an election. (laughs) (laughs) I always say when I win. (laughs) Well, there you go. Okay. So when you win, what are your overarching goals and objectives? There you go, Adam. Now you're talking. I want to return Colorado back to the good old-fashioned values that made it great. When I think about my grandparents and my great-grandparents, I'm fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And even when you think about I'm Cherokee and Choctaw, and my grandfather that I was very close to was Cherokee, and he actually gave a full tour of the Great Sand Dunes and the burial site back in the summer of 27 that I have a newspaper article from the Pueblo Chieftain. So if you think about what Colorado was like and what they did to help and what they were doing to build Colorado back when we were the great frontier, Mm -hmm. there's so much that we have lost. There's some great things that we've gained and some progress that we've made. But when you look at our people and you look at our children and how they're suffering and you look at our seniors and how they're suffering, the most vulnerable are really suffering and the rest of us are working as fast as we can to make ends meet to try to keep it all together. Are there some main points you'd like voters to remember as they go to the polls in November? About you specifically, of course. That I'm one of them. I'm just one of us. I'm one of the people in House District 62. So if I wasn't to win and my opponent was to win, I need him to represent me. And he won't. I know he won't. So I am one of us. I am one of the people of House District 62 that needs true representation. I'm a farmer. Mm -hmm. And I'm a business owner. And I'm a daughter. I'm a mother. I'm someone that cares about the people. And I love my people. And I have a true heart for them. I don't have any other agenda to go be on some Governor Polis committee or somebody else's team that could benefit my life. No. I have no agenda like that. Everything for me is full risk. 
Well, as your slogan says, from the barn to the boardroom, you've done it all. Yeah. Dialing us in a little closer to home, do you feel like the San Luis Valley is currently represented well at the state level? No, I don't. No, and I think all the people that I speak to would agree with that. You know, all of us say that, right? We just wish that the Denver people, and you even hear former senators say it, the great state of Denver, right? So a lot of us in Southern Colorado, we know we need better representation. We know we do. And we don't need someone in the House of Representatives that is swayed to the city way of life and to what their agenda is for Colorado. They don't have rural Colorado in mind at all. And when you look at Governor Polis, when you listen to him and listen to his husband and look it up, you'll know exactly what they think of rural Colorado. Which is a large portion of our state. Yes, it is. What do you intend to do to change that then? I intend to work for my people and to truly represent them. And when I'm out in the field and I'm talking to people, we need legislation in the House and the Senate that can really return us back to our ethical values and to people that care for people, that we are not creating some sort of tricks. When you look at Polis's tax agenda, his fee agenda, there's nothing but tricks and things that he's done. I have a full thing right here I could even read to you. He's actually done so many things within the legislature. And a lot of this, he's actually done it so that during election year, for instance, during election year, he's given us a break on if you start your own business, it's only a buck. That's not for next year. So if he wins, there's limits on all this stuff that he's bragging about. There's limits on it. We could go through, oh, a hundred of these. Even when you think of the delivery tax, I've had business owners talk to me about the delivery tax, mm-hmm. right? And trying to administrate that. They're going to make millions, if not billions, off of just that little thing they're trying to nickel and dime us with. It's a nightmare to track as a business owner, too. That's what I'm hearing. That's exactly what I'm hearing. I'm even hearing it from the ag industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. And so, you know, when people talk about their fur agriculture and they'll fight for water, well, you know, there's more to it than just fighting for the water. There's that little tax that's killing people. Even when you think about what Bolas did, he signed the state's largest budget over $38.1 billion. Now, we have to remember that government doesn't make money. Mm-hmm. They don't sell anything. They don't make widgets. They don't make money. They only spend it. So if you think about your own checkbook, where do you get your money? You get your money from selling things, from any other work that you've done in your lifetime. You have checks and you have income that's coming in. The only income that a government has coming in is from us taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And when you ask me, what do I want to do? I want to make Colorado affordable again. When you go through the 100 things, you can actually go on thepolistax.com and you can see all the taxes and fees that Polis has done to us. He's got around Tabor. The Democrats can't stand Tabor. It's our tax protection. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they go around it enacting fees on us. There's even fees on an occupational therapist, on speech therapists. The fees have been suspended for some healthcare workers. But then in 2023, guess what? They're going to go up. There are so many tricks like that. A gas tax. There's actually a gas tax that you can find in here too that you're going to find that is going to come in on the people. His lieutenant governor, this is the other thing that Polis has done with his Democrats. He has created different enterprises. He's grown the government. So his $38 billion budget, he needs that kind of money to fund the extra enterprises, which are just departments. You know, back in the day, we, I think we used to know if you added a department, we recognized that word as, oh, they added to government. Well, now the special word is enterprise. Well, he's added five different enterprises to the government, one called Community Access Enterprise, Clean Fleet Enterprise, Clean Transit Enterprise, Non-Attainment Area Air Pollution Mitigation Enterprise. That's a mouthful. Right? Statewide Bridge and Tunnel Enterprise. Those are his enterprises that he's added that he has to fund. Well, excuse me, that us taxpayers have to fund. We. 
We. Taxpayers. Correct. So then there's this one, uh, the lieutenant governor, they have her double dipping. So there's another enterprise called the Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare. That's another enterprise he started. And Primavera's, as the director's salary, she's getting an extra $93,000, an extra $90,000 she's getting to be in charge of this thing. And it's a bill aimed at holding the Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare Accountable. That bill was actually shot down by radical Democrats this year. And Coloradans really have no idea what the Office of Saving You Money on Healthcare does, especially since the healthcare premiums are expected to rise in Colorado next year. And there was another bill in the Senate. There was an actually a Senate bill that was holding that office that Primavera is now in charge of. That office was being held accountable. They wanted to see an equality assurance program. They wanted to be able to audit that enterprise, and that was shot down. There was no way you could actually go into that enterprise, that office, and see what it was that actually that they were doing. And that Senate bill was actually the SMART Act. Senate Bill 22-061, the SMART Act hearing for Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare. It's just so tangled. When you start looking into this stuff, it's like getting a ball of yarn that you're trying to untangle. It really is. I'll read something and it'll trigger me. Oh, wow, I read how that's tangled in with something else. This, the State Measurement for Accountable, Responsive, and Transparent Government Act. It's called the SMART Act. It establishes a performance management system on our government offices, which added the Office of Saving People Money on Healthcare, which was created within the governor's office by executive order. It was an executive order that started that to the already established list of departments that are required to comply with the SMART Act requirements. So that SMART Act, it's a measurement for accountable, responsive, and transparent government. That new enterprise, that new office that was done by executive order for Primavera to be in charge of to receive $90,000 on top of her already $93,000, that's an example of what we've got to have legislators that know what's going on and what trickery, what devices, what's been happening. And a lot of this stuff is just so like over your head. You know, I think a lot of people, like if you're listening to this podcast and you think, gosh, that's like way too much, click, I'm going to turn this off, I'm not going to listen anymore. I hear you. I completely get it because I've done the same thing. But you know what? When I decided to run, I took this really, really serious. And that's why I have your whole table full of all these documents. She does. (laughs) It's true. All these documents ready to back up. And to reference what I have found when I've dug into this, I'm a researcher, I'm an investigator. Part of being a nursing home administrator, when you've been told that somebody's maybe had their wallet stolen, something's happened, somebody fell and you don't know why, you've got to investigate. So I am an experienced investigator trying to get down to the bottom of something. So long answer to your question, what do I want to do for the people of the San Luis Valley? I want to expose and fix Go in and be a part of the team that tries to fix what has happened to us. And it is affecting the San Luis Valley so much and the people of Pueblo as well. You know, we're a poor district. We are. We are probably the poorest district in Colorado. So all of these things that they're doing to us that maybe the people in Denver might not feel, we will feel it hitting our pocketbook. Carol, back in 1990, Colorado enacted term limits for representatives of the House to four two-year terms. What is your stance on term limits for candidates at the federal level? I'm completely in favor. Term limits need to be put in place, and it's obvious why. I haven't met one person that says, no, those people should stay in forever. Really, honestly, when you look at Pelosi, Schumer, or any of the Republicans for that matter, Democrats, Libertarians, Constitutionalists, it doesn't matter what party you're from. When you're up in Washington for years upon years upon years, even when you look at Biden, they're completely disjointed from the rest of us. They don't even know what it's like to be a blue class, hardworking American. They just don't know that world anymore. They've been indoctrinated. They live in a whole nother world of themselves and they just become so turned inside themselves that they're no longer working for us. We like the representation. Yes. From the very people who are supposed to be representing us. There you go. It's completely lost. 
Are there certain areas of public policy that you're personally passionate about? I believe that the water is something that I have a huge passion for. And right now, there's a bill at the federal government called H.R. 5118. And H.R. 5118 is actually a bill that compiles a bunch of other bills into it, about, I think it's 48 different bills. 48 different bills are being compiled into this bill, and one of those is H.R. 7793. And H.R. 7793 actually is a very dangerous bill. And it's something that's on our radar when we are at the Rio Grande Basin Roundtable and the Arkansas Basin Roundtable. So the water experts are on this. They are on it. But this is scary because it's being fast-tracked. And even Senator Simpson, who endorsed me, Mm -hmm. Senator Simpson has testified against this. And so has our state water attorney. But this H.R. 7793 is called the Rio Grande Water Security Act. And it was introduced by Stansbury, who is a Democrat New Mexico senator. And what this is supposed to do is it is supposed to, just like it's titled, right, Rio Grande Water Security Act. H.R. 5118, which this is a part of, when you read it, you see all this great stuff in it. You see they want to put money towards fire mitigation and giving firefighters a pay increase and all this really good stuff. And then you see little naughty naughties that are buried inside of good bills that look good from the outside. So that's what you're going to see with this one, the HR 7793. And you can go pull it up on congress.gov. Just go pull it up and read it for yourself. And the basin states are Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. That's why it's affecting us is because we are one of the basin states. And so when you look at, it's talking about creating a working group. Well, Carol, what's so harmful about a working group? Well, guess who the working group is going to be made up of? The working group is going to be made up of the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. So these are the CEOs under Biden himself. These are the people in Washington. The Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, the Chief of the Forest Service, this Chief of the Natural Resource Conservancy Service, Director of National Laboratory located in a basin state, Commissioner of Reclamation, the Director of National Park Service, Director of the U.S. Geological Society, the Secretary of Energy, and it goes on and on. There's 15 of them. But it never once says anything about local representation. We have the Rio Grande Basin. We have the Conservancy District here that do an amazing job and have been for years. And we handle our water. We handle it. Especially the upper basin. When you look at the upper and the lower basin, there's about 15 million acre feet. So we're supposed to split that, right? The seven and a half million acre feet. So the upper Rio Grande Basin, here we are. We're not even using our seven and a half million acre feet. But the lower basin is, and they're actually going over. We, in this, we handle our water in this area. And we handle, we know how to work together. But the duties, the other thing that's scary about this, so say it's just a working group and say that all gets fixed and something happens there where we can actually add local representation. But under the duties, it says to develop and implement a basin plan. Now, when you think about this is just a working group, was it just to study things? Well, it says it's to develop and implement. So right there, that makes me wonder when they're talking about this could be maybe just innocent. When you talk about implementation, that these federal CEOs of these different organizations could actually implement their plans, that's a bit scary. And does that open up the area for like RWR and AWDI? When you look at RWR, you know, I don't think many people even realize that former Governor Dick Lamb, he was the AWDI guy. And you want to know which governor is the RWR guy? The RWR guy is Governor Bill Owens, former Governor Bill Owens. So we have two former governors that have tried to come get our water. So when you look at that, and then you look at what 7793 could be doing to us, Mm. you have to wonder what are they up to? And that's where I'm really good at investigating and um, trying to figure this out. And I will. I won't just say yes or no on something without investigating. So that's one thing is water is what I'm really super passionate about. 
Obviously, parents, I can't imagine being a parent right now and having your children in school. There are stories of teachers. In fact, there's a middle school math teacher who's running for treasure in Pueblo. She is in the classroom teaching right now. She has a student that has decided that it wants to be called by a different name with the whole gender and identification and all of that sort of thing. So she's required to do that. And if that child wants to bring its clothes in and change clothes and do whatever it's going to do, then when that child's parents come in at the parent-teacher conference, she's not allowed to say anything. She has to pretend like nothing's going on and call the child by the name that the parents know it by, and she's supposed to keep doing that. Another story. So there's a young lady who's a Department of Corrections officer. She also is a sub in kindergarten and first grade. She is getting out of teaching, and this woman, she's a firecracker. She's a smart young lady. She's going to get out of it. She wants to get out because she can no longer handle when a child decides it identifies as a kitten and it goes around meow, 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 meow all day and it wants to use the kitty litter box. She has to allow that child to use a kitty litter box. If she has little kids going around barking like little puppies, they identify as puppies. She has to let those children go around barking in the classroom. She's done. She's out. She's not going to do this anymore. So we are losing really good teachers that got into teaching that don't want to do this anymore. So I asked the school board chairperson for Alamosa. I said, so what's going on? I talked to Heidi. What's really happening out there? Because here again, I'm investigating. I'm trying to figure out. So she said, you know, Carol, right now what we're seeing is the bathrooms. Did you know about the bathrooms, Adam, that you've got the schools now have to let their unisex bathrooms, girls get to go in boys' bathrooms, boys get to go in girls' bathrooms, the teachers and everyone can't do anything about it. I think a lot of people don't even know about this one basic thing, this one basic thing that all the schools have been required that if a young man decides one day he's going to identify as a female, he gets to go in the female's bathroom. And that's now happening. We are starting to see that happening in the San Luis Valley. Is it right here in the valley? Yes. This is starting to happen where you have young people getting smart to, oh, I think I'll just go into that other bathroom. Can you imagine? And it's not going well at all with parents at all. And that's another reason why I'm fighting for one of the public policies that I'll be fighting for. It's not right. And the Parents' Bill of Rights, you could look that up. The Parents' Bill of Rights have simple things like right now in Monta Vista, if you registered your child for school in Monta Vista, what you would have gotten was you can't go in the classroom and we can't tell you what we're teaching. We actually have a parent that these parents decided to homeschool because of that very reason. The Parents' Bill of Rights, you see all these, Adam? This was not passed in the House and the Senate. This was killed by the Democrats. Now, the first question we have to ask ourselves, so when did parents lose their rights in the first place Mm -hmm. that you even have to write a Bill of Rights? But now we're in this day in Colorado that the Parents' Bill of Rights can't even get passed that says that you have the right to know what your child is being taught, that you have the right to access your child's academic data, that you have the right to know how your child is performing in school. And it goes on and on. There's actually 11 of them on this list. That is something that is a big problem for all of us in the state of Colorado, let alone House District 62. And I could go on about the fentanyl and the crime, and I think we all know that. There's one story here that the Washington Post exposes Colorado's sad decline. A Washington Post reporter, don't you wish you could have him on a podcast? (laughs) It would be fun. This Washington Post reporter actually rode a bus in Denver and could not believe what he was finding. It was just atrocious what they were actually getting into. And union stations and the criminal justice reform that has happened. You'll have to go to the Denver Gazette and actually look that up. The Washington Post exposes Colorado's sad decline. You know, Colorado lawmakers have decriminalized small amounts of drug possession in 2019, meaning that offenders were sometimes cited with a misdemeanor for possessing up to four grams of fentanyl, enough to nearly kill 2,000 people. Then they lowered it down to, I think, one or two grams, which still kills thousands of people, right? 
So it's just constant. It keeps going on and on and on. And Colorado is number one in car theft, number one in bank robberies. We have just hit number one in all kinds of areas in crime. And if you look at graphs, I've seen a graph. The Pueblo police chief, he presented some graphs at a meeting there for the community. And the increase in crime rates for Colorado is so atrocious compared to the national rate. The national rate, we're only growing by 3%, whereas Colorado was at a 35% rate higher than 2011. And so here we're growing at nationally at 3% and Colorado's growing at 35%. Mm. So the crime rate in Colorado, we're just number one, number one, number one, number one, in things that we really don't want to be number one in. We're just going to say the very <laughs> same thing. Those are the public policies that I'm pretty passionate about. Carol, who do you look up to? I look up to Jesus. I don't put anybody on a pedestal and then get disappointed and have expectations for somebody that is not fair to them. And so when I say I look up to Jesus, I know that I'm looking up to the perfect example of how we walk out this life and how we work with people and love people and how we can actually behave with one another and actually how you can be strong or you can be very kind and loving, but not weak. What characteristics or principles do you think are most important for an elected official? You know, I believe it's integrity and honesty. I really do. I think you're, you've got to have this core inside your very being that you've got to have some integrity and honesty and that you stick to that no matter what is being offered you no matter what special little carrot is being held out to you, that you stick to your morals and you stick to your values, no matter what, no matter what, that you stick to them. And on that same note, what happened to you is I had one of the legislators actually say to me, and I won't say who it was, they said, you know, Carol, you're doing a really good job. And this was on the other side of the aisle, mm -hmm. right? You're doing a really good job, but I know the numbers. So I know the numbers of District 62 and they're not on your side, but you're doing a good job and you know, you're working it good. And one thing that I did, and I realized that I didn't do as good as I should have because I stopped working it. Well, let me tell you this, Adam, I'm not out working it. I'm not out working anybody. I'm out trying to learn. I'm preparing myself to win. So when I sit in that seat of House of Representatives District 62, I will sit there with, under my belt, I will have talked to thousands of people in District 62. Well, you said too, this is your first time around, and there's a lot of learning. There is a lot of learning. What qualities do you possess that you believe are going to make you a successful office holder? You know, I know how to work hard. And I think for these positions, I think you need to really know how to work hard because you've got to do long hours. They try to cram a lot in just a few months, five months. You've got to get a lot of work done. Right. I do know how to work hard. And I bring qualities to the table that come from life experience, from building a business, from starting a business, from going through troubles, personal life troubles, going through the things that average blue collar American person has gone through. And there's a lot of that that I've gone through. And coming from a farm family, an ag family in Colorado, I think that is really important to District 62. We've got to have a farmer, rancher person representing us. Someone who understands this. Yeah. Agriculture is different. It is. This is not a big city. No. We do things differently here. And leave our ding-dang water alone. <laughs> exactly. And this person has got to be able to sit on the ag committee. Can you imagine if you put somebody on the ag committee that doesn't even know what half of the people are talking about? You know, it's, there's going to be a bunch of talk about water. There's going to be talk about planting. There's going to be talk about seed and soil conservation. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of talk about technology, what technology is out there that can actually help the farm industry, the ag industry save water and all the other jobs, all the other responsibilities that ag has. And, you know, when I talk to the people of Pueblo, they get that. They want a farmer in that position. They understand it's important that we have a farmer represent House District 62 and a farmer that can hang with the other people on that committee. Well, we are, what, the second biggest grower of potatoes in the country? Yeah. Yeah, we're right up there competing with Idaho. And we are number one, Adam, in the fresh market. We're actually number one. And it's more than just potatoes. I mean, yes, it's a well-known commodity here in the Valley, but 
carrots, lettuce. There's so many other things that we're also producing right here at home. Exactly. You know, I was asked about that too. So why can't we just grow other crops? And my opponent actually was talking about, well, we'll just grow other crops that don't take as much water. Well, on that, you have to have a market. The farmer can't just put something in the ground. There's no way in heck I would have just planted something in the ground that had no market. And where did we see that, Adam? We saw that with him. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important. That's why it's important with somebody that knows these things and has not just studied it, because I have studied it, but I've actually been there. And I've actually had to put a bunch of money towards seed and put it in the ground and hope and pray that I was going to actually be able to sell it and that I had all the resources I needed to actually grow that. Mm -hmm. So it's important, again, that we have somebody that knows, really knows what they're doing so we can be knowledgeable and really productive on that ag committee. What legacy would you like to leave behind, Carol? I would like to leave the legacy that I actually did represent the people that I actually did it, that I actually did what I said I was going to do, that I'm representing the people and that I gave it all I had. Come win, lose, or draw. How many bills did she pass or did she do this or did she do that? But you know what? She was true to us. She truly had the people's heart in mind in everything that she did. Carol, what do you believe or perceive to be the state's greatest challenges over to the next decade? So, you know, our greatest challenges are going to be, can we actually afford the road that we're headed down? Again, you heard all the things that I rattled off as far as the taxes and the fees that Governor Polis and the Democrats have done to us. Where are we going to find ourselves financially? Of course, then where do we find ourselves with water down the road in the next decade? When you think about what's really going to happen to the San Luis Valley, to Pueblo, And when I think about Pueblo, I really think about, of course, they need to protect their water. There's no doubt about that. Sure. But they're more concerned about the crime. They're very concerned about the crime. I was on the phone. I was making phone calls yesterday, and I get this older gentleman, and he asked me, I need a police officer two doors down. There's a drug dealer, and I need a police officer at my house because of this drug dealer. Can you help us get police officers here to our homes faster? Wow. Yeah. It's constant. When I've walked the streets in Pueblo, it's constant where people warn me, oh, oh, make sure you skip that house. See the yellow house with the blue trim? Make sure you don't go there. That's the drug dealer's house. It's constant, Adam. Constant, constant. I talked to a couple that was at the Pueblo State Fair, and they told me, oh, we hear gunshots, but they're not very close. They're kind of far away. So what's happening when I first started in the spring and I talked to people, oh, we hear gunshots, we hear gunshots. And now it's, we hear gunshots, but they're not very far away. So they're getting conditioned to accept the crime. It's not okay. And so when we look at that as being our biggest challenges over the next decade, we definitely have a crime issue. There's no doubt. The other thing is climate change. Some of the things that Governor Polis is planning on doing within the climate change world The climate change world, they're looking at even eliminating, actually eliminating gas, where you can't even have gas appliances, that you have to have everything electric. And if you think about that on the people of the San Luis Valley or even District 62 in Huerfano County, in Pueblo County, that we're going to have to change all of our appliances over to electric, what's that going to do to us? And let's take some examples from California, right? California, how's that working out for them? When, what, just last week, they had to put a do not run your air conditioner or set your air conditioner to 78 or whatever the thing that Newsom was telling them. They have to actually have to try to mitigate what is happening in their state because they're going to have blackouts and brownouts. Can you imagine us having a blackout or brownout? And the first thing that my mind goes to, Adam, is what happens to little Miss Sally. She's running on her concentrator that's plugged into the wall, that electricity. She's counting on it for her very life. Right. And I've taken care of people like this, that their very life is counting on their concentrator working. And if they go without electricity, I had an extreme case. If she went out without electricity for her oxygen, she could be dead in five minutes. It's not good what we're facing and where they want to really go to the extreme on climate change. There is a way to have balance. You know, electric cars, my son has one, right? Right. Kyle has an electric car. Well, if you thought about, okay, what about an electric tractor? Can you imagine an electric tractor? 
Okay. I think to myself when I've been in a field pulling a plow or even with a beater on beaten straw, I think to myself, how long would that tractor be able to run that I'd have to go plug it in? I don't have time to do that when I'm working a field. You've seen the farmers. We're out in that field somewhere between six and seven and go until dark or past dark with the lights on. Sun up to sundown oh, and then yeah. some. And then some, yeah. exactly. Because when it's field work time, we got to get her done before the ground freezes. So, you know, I think that's another thing that we're facing that is a danger, danger, danger that Colorado is facing in the next decade. And, you know, from all the articles and the experts I've studied is that they actually say, you know what, Colorado has a chance to turn this around. There's actually hope for Colorado, which has been good to see and hear. There's actually hope and Colorado has a chance to be a true innovator in this regard and chart its own course toward a carbon-free future with an eye toward reliability. The state does not have to copy California on everything. And I thought that was a really good way to put that. Well, dialing us in a little bit, what do you perceive to be our greatest challenges here, San Luis Valley and District 62? I think it's a lot of the same thing. Again, water, again, crime, let alone the parents' rights, our children, really valuing our children. In a lot of ways, I watch and I see, are we valuing animals over children? If you think about how endangered animals are protected more than our children, it's concerning. It's really, really concerning. And so I think the the values and the ethics that we have as loving human beings towards each other, we need to protect those values. As far as I'm concerned, Adam, live and let live. I'm not going to tell you how to live. Let it rip. I don't care. But your values and your lifestyle does not need to get imposed upon me. I get to live the way I want to live too. So I'm a real proponent of freedom. Freedom is our God-given right, and I want to protect it. Do you believe it's beneficial for state legislators to have previous experience in government or politics? You know, actually, I think it's a hindrance. Okay. I really do. They could have experience, but they've also got to have experience in real blue-collar work, right? And even white-collar work, for that matter. But real blue-collar work, the people that carry the load of our country on their back. I was talking to some steel workers, and that's exactly what they told me. And these are steel workers that migrated from Mexico, and they're working their butts off, and they are pissed. They're not happy. They are upset. They're carrying this country on their back, carrying this state on their back, and they feel like everyone else is getting freebies. So again, you may have too much legislative experience where you've lost touch with reality. You've lost touch with the people. So I think with people who have experience in politics, and if you don't have experience like myself, I'm not worried one bit. There is a whole bunch of people that I'm going to be able to tap into all the aides, all of the different positions that are filled by people who are experts in politics. What I bring to the table is what they don't. I'm bringing my people, all the people that live in House District 62. We all can't sit in that one chair. I will sit in that chair, but I will have all of them with me. And that's what I'll be presenting on the table, talking to other legislators about, is my people's, what they want, their tax dollars say something, and their tax dollars matter. They have a voice. Do you think that it's beneficial to build relationships with other legislators? Absolutely. And either whether you agree with them or not. One thing that I have always worked on the base of, first you must understand before you can be understood. And it's so, so important that as a legislator that I understand where someone else is coming from and their information and that I listen really, really well and that I totally, completely understand. From that point, then I can knowledgeably speak back to them to be understood from my perspective as well. Is there a particular process you favor for redistricting? No, I don't. I've had lots of people talk to me about the redistricting. And as far as I'm concerned, it is what it is. A lot of smart people got together and put it together. And it is what it is. And I'm not afraid of it. I love my district. And the San Luis Valley. Absolutely. San Luis Valley and Huerfano. My little sliver of Huerfano now and my pretty sizable chunk of Pueblo and the old part of Pueblo. Well, as you said, you've gone there. 
And I'm knocking on doors. I'm actually knocking on doors. Are there any particular committees you might have your eye on or that you might want to be a part of? Oh, absolutely, Adam. I thought you'd never ask. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the Agriculture, Livestock, and Water Committee, the Business Affairs and Labor, I have knowledge to bring to that one as well. The Health and Insurance, can't skip that one. That would be something I'd be interested in as well. And then Public and Behavioral Health and Human Services, that one, I've got a lot of experience to be able to talk very knowledgeably at the table. 30 years of working with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. I know the different chapters of regulations that a nursing home works under. Chapter 5, Chapter 7, Assisted Living, Chapter 26, Home Health, and then Chapter 2 that were all regulated by, which they manipulated in 2020 for the pandemic and then abandoned here just recently. So I know the history. I've been in with them and I can actually speak knowledgeably and know bull when I hear it or know something real and something that could really help. I'll be able to sit on that committee very well. Same with finance. Finance would interest me too. Operating million dollar budgets. I've been blessed with that as well. And so granted the state budget is far larger than a few million, but I can follow a budget. And I've had lots of experience having to create budgets and having to operate by budgets and having to submit those to bankers or else lose your funding. So I've been under the gun with budgets. Do you think legislature should oversee or grant the use of emergency powers? No, I think that whole emergency powers really needs to be looked at. And there needs to be some level-headed people coming to the table that really analyze emergency powers. That we have seen is dangerous to our very freedom as Americans. You can be abused. Completely abused. And do you think compromise is necessary or desirable in policymaking? Yeah, I've had this question a lot. I do believe there are times when you've got to compromise, right? You're trying to get something done. There are so many times now, though, Adam, that they're so polarized. Just like, how do you compromise a parent's bill of rights? You know, which one of these am I going to get rid of that I could compromise? And I think there was compromise on this one, too. And you just have to wonder to yourself, How far do we compromise without losing all of our rights? I had a former senator really attack me over gun rights. Just so you know, Adam, and your listeners know, I will not bend the knee. I will not bend the knee on gun rights. I believe in the Constitution, and I believe in our amendments, and I don't believe that reducing law-abiding, tax-paying, hard-working citizens' gun rights will keep the criminals from just doing whatever the heck they want. We've got kids right now going down this rabbit trail of gun rights. We've got kids right now that are putting guns together, different parts, different parts of guns and putting the guns together. So a criminal or anyone out there who wants to get a gun and do some harm, they're going to do it whether we have our gun rights or not. So I do believe there's time for compromise, but I do believe there's time where you stand. And again, you represent your people and you do not You do not leave your people behind just because you want to be on a committee or you want something special from the governor or from the majority leader or whatever games are being played. You stand on representing your people. Principle, integrity, honesty, all these things that you've been mentioning. Absolutely. Carol, anything else that you'd like to mention? Adam, I just want to thank you again for allowing me to come here and to talk freely where you're not being pigeonholed or you're not being corralled into a corner by certain questions or by certain time limits and all of that sort of thing where you can't even really get your message to the people. And I just pray for my people too. I pray for all my people in House District 62 and making plans for filling that seat If you wait until November 8th till you're elected, it's too late. You don't have much time to get ready. So I would ask that people would vote for me. I would ask that the Republican base, you know, I hear from the Republicans, sometimes they'll say, well, it's not even worth it. Or you hear a lot of people say that, that it's all corrupt anyway. I hear that from Democrats. 
It's all corrupt anyway. Why should I vote? I need you to vote. I need you to vote. Come win, lose, or draw. All of us Americans, we are going to stand and say we voted. We tried. We saw our vote as precious. And we did not take it for granted. We actually exercised our right to vote. And everything's going to be okay. There's hope. I believe there's hope. We're going to get through this and everything's going to be okay. I taught my kids this growing up. (laughs) You don't vote, you can complain later. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't vote because they're like, well, I don't really know what's going on anyway. And I don't know if he or she is a good person anyway, so why should I vote? Well, you know, you just have to take your best stab at it. That's right. And nowadays, with all the information that's out there that you can look me up, and I would strongly suggest that, look me up. Look me up on my website, carolforcolorado.com. I don't beat around the bush on that website. It'll give you good information. Go to my Facebook page. See, what have I been doing? What kind of personality do I have? Can you really trust me? Go to Ballotpedia. Ballotpedia is another place that a lot of people don't go. And I noticed that Donald Valdez never completely filled it out. Neither did my opponent. They did not fill out Ballotpedia. I'm not really sure why. I think it asked some really personal questions that maybe that they don't want to expose themselves. But again, I'm not playing a game. I'm the raw thing. I'm just one of the people. And I want to go to Denver to help. We look forward to seeing what happens on November 8th. From the barn to the boardroom, it's Carol Riggenbach running for Colorado House of Representatives, District 62. Carol, thank you for your time. Thank you, Adam. For more information on Carol Riggenbach, visit carolforcolorado.com. That's carolforcolorado.com. You can also email her at carol at carolforcolorado.com. That's carol at carolforcolorado.com. She's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Experience from the barn to the boardroom. That's Carol Rickenbach, running for Colorado House of Representatives, District 62. This podcast was paid for by CTE Carol Rickenbach for HD62. Registered agent, Marge Klein. The views and opinions expressed by the San Luis Valley Voices podcast guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or beliefs of SL Voices, its staff, members, their respective parent company, or affiliates. We appreciate you telling your friends to listen to the podcast on slvoices.com and check out our extensive calendar of events, the most listings in the Valley. You can help spread the word, too, by joining our Facebook group, SL Voices, your voice in the San Luis Valley, and liking our post on other social media outlets. Also, check out our Instagram page for occasional behind-the-scenes looks at what we do. And please, patronize our local sponsors. Remember to support the businesses here in the Valley. Most are owned and operated by your family, friends, and neighbors. We all love this area, want to see it flourish, and you can help by buying and supporting locally in your own and surrounding communities. Check back for another local podcast soon. Until then, this has been San Luis Valley Voices, an SL Voices production.